0: Has become controversial in our culture. Why? Because the message of the cross is very clear. Our sin is more serious than we think. But God's love for us is deeper than we could ever imagine. The cross is where love and justice meet at the person of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Have you believed on Him for your salvation? Well, we're going to explore. Jesus' passion, his death on the cross, and what it means to us. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Now we're in the Gospel of Mark as we move verse by verse through the Gospel. We've come to chapter 15. And we're going to be in a series for the next couple of chapters called The Passion of the Christ, The Passion of the Christ. Two, two uh, sections I'd like you to go ahead and turn to to prepare yourself for what's ahead of us. That would be Mark 15 and Hebrews 12. So go ahead and hold a place in Mark 15 and Hebrews 12. Hebrews is going to be towards the back of your New Testament. Mark 15, Hebrews 12. And let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, we've come here hungry to hear from you and we're gonna hear from you today because we're gonna open the word of God and we're confident that you are gonna speak. All four gospel writers give us the account of the trial, scourging, and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could say, Lord, I think together right now that we are on holy ground. This is some hard ground as well because when we see what happened to you, it's hard to take. But we know why you did it. You did it for the joy that was set before you. You endured the suffering and took your stand for your people and for the glory, I believe, of pleasing your Father. And we're so grateful that it's done, it's over. This is never going to happen again. But we need to relive it. We need to look back at the cross. For the cross is where you paid the sin debt in full and said, it is finished. You shed your precious blood that we might be saved. And I pray that we'll set aside every distraction, every weight that we've brought into this place, and we will have ears to hear what you would say to your church, Lord God, and that we'd align our lives to these truths. In Jesus' holy name, I pray, and all God's people said, amen. I want you to look back for a second. Look to the back wall. We put a scripture on the back wall. If you can all turn around. It says these words, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. That scripture is there to remind ev- every preacher that ever takes this pulpit that they are to preach unashamedly the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today as we uh, move through the gospel of Mark. We have come now to the crucifixion account as it is recorded by Mark. I want to remind you that Mark gave us what we would consider a theme verse in Mark 10:45. When Jesus spoke these words, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, remember, as a ransom for many. The gospel has been building towards this moment. Jesus has been agonizing over this moment. He's prophesied this moment. He agonized over the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, recoiling from not just the cross, but the beating associated with the cross and all the spiritual implications that would happen at the cross. But now the hour had come. He had said many times in his earthly ministry, The hour has not yet come. But now the time had come. Now it was time to pay the ransom price. The Greek word for ransom would be defined very much like we would define the English word ransom. And we've all probably heard, uh, seen movies, heard stories about a ransom being paid. Someone maybe uh, has a family member taken and, you know, someone kidnaps them for money or whatever they're trying to extort from somebody. And we've seen movies depict this and the drama associated with trying to gather money and, and get to a location to give a ransom price to buy our loved one back. Well, that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been building this theme that he's going to pay a ransom. He's going to shed his blood to buy us back from the slave market of sin. And it's going to be a hard thing, and I would just warn you ahead of time, some of the content this morning is a little hard to take, but we need to relive it. We need to look at the message of the cross, both to be reminded of what Christ did for us and his great love for us, and also to remember who we are in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews addresses the Hebrew church in Hebrews chapter 12. This is a church that's going through difficulty. This is a Jewish church that is being persecuted and tempted to go back to the uh, temple and all that's associated with it. And the writer of Hebrews in 12.1 says these words, and I think this is part of the practical part of learning about the cross or being reminded. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We need to consider the cross of Jesus Christ often. In fact, Paul, when he came into Corinth said, "Uh, I knew nothing except Christ and him crucified. The center of what we do as a church, the message that we preach is hope in a death instrument, but it's not just about the death instrument. It's the one that's dying on that cross. The cross has become a symbol of hope, and the hour to pay the price, the redemption price, has come. Jesus knew what was coming, and you know, you could imagine as you read these events happen, it it had to be very difficult for him to know what was coming and still go through with it. After all, he was fully human. He knew all the details, all that was going to happen to him, and still had to face it. And I think this Uh, knowledge amplifies and intensifies what he was feeling as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here he has come to this time. We we must remember that this day is over. The price has been paid in full, but it is written in the scripture and the annals of history for us to remember. Time will not forget, and time doesn't even forget the multiple players that were there on that day. There were religious leaders. There was a political leader named Pilate and Herod. There were the people. There were the casual onlookers and those who were intensely faithful to Jesus Christ. There were followers of Barabbas there that day who had come to appeal to the governor for his release. And the governor would say to the crowd, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And that is a question that every man, woman, and child must face. The message of the cross, as I mentioned, is foolishness to those who are perishing But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We must never stop preaching it, never stop pointing people to the hope of the cross, and never stop even turning our question marks in life into the cross. Because if God loves us this much, if God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, then we can have hope that we can continue to live this life even in the difficult times. It's been said that you don't understand Christ until you understand the cross, but I would argue even further, you will not understand this world and what's going on with humanity until you understand the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe the cross should always be on our lips and always be talked about. I went home a few nights ago, and I uh, uh, stumbled upon a movie called Miracles. I think it's called Miracles from Heaven. It's one of these intriguing stories of a near-death experience. And uh, we got a call recently on the Bible Answer Show, and someone was asking about the validity of these things and what to make of them. And in each case, I think you have to take on the merits of what's said and the evidences. But this particular case, some of you have heard about it. It was a little girl. She's 10 years old. She lived on a farm with her family, and she came down with this uh, terrible digestive disease. And what was happening is is that just her digestive system was not working properly. She's finally taken to a specialist in Boston where, you know, he's like the top guy, but he tells the mom early in the the story that, look, there's no cure for this. There's multiple kids who have this, and there's no cure. We don't know how to cure it, but all we can do is try to take away her pain and try to, you know, find ways to to ease the situation. And it it becomes evident in the storyline of the movie Movie that the little girl's going to die. She's only 10. And for a while, she's really encouraging her mom. She's telling mom, it's going to be okay. The Lord's got us in his hands and she wears a cross necklace. But as the movie turns and the little girl's pain gets more terrible and tough to take, she starts to lose hope. And she goes into a depression. In the middle of, of what I saw in the movie, there's a scene where the little girl is there with the digestive problem with her mom. Her mom's struggling with all kinds of issues of faith, although she seems to be a believer. And there's a little girl with cancer in the next bed in the hospital room. So they begin to strike up a friendship, and they begin to talk. And at one point, the little girl with the digestive problem says to the girl with cancer, "Um, I have hope because I know Jesus is with me. And the little girl with cancer says, do you think he's with me too? And she says, yes, I do. Well, they're going to do a procedure on the little girl that has the digestive problem, and they ask her to take off her cross necklace, and it's a bit of a struggle for her. She doesn't like taking it off, but she agrees, and she hangs the cross necklace. They hang it on the the liquids that are feeding her, and so you know there's some attention paid to the cross necklace, and they begin to do the procedure, and all of a sudden, the girl says, you know what? I want to give you this cross, and she offers it to the little girl with cancer that looks about the same age. And she goes, really? And so she receives the cross, and then her father walks in. This is the father of the cancer patient, and he sees what's going on, and he sees the cross, and he goes, she goes, look, Daddy, and you can tell he's not happy. And so he calls the mom out into the hallway, and he says, look, I need to talk to you, and this is who I am. I'm her father, and you just need to know something. Uh, I have a problem with this cross necklace being given to my daughter. That's not our thing. I don't want to give her any false hope. And the mom even says, well, I'm struggling with hope too, so I totally understand. So as the movie goes on, the little girl ends up, she, she goes home basically to die, and she's out in the, this backyard, and she climbs up a tree that they used to play on. She's about three stories up, and all of a sudden a branch gives away. And she hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, and we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633 and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. And all of a sudden a branch gives way and she falls into the middle of a hollowed out tree and she hits the bottom and uh, there's no way to get to her. They're afraid to cut down the tree. It might kill her. So they, it takes all day. They finally pull her out. And when she's pulled out, she, she, it's miraculous. She has no broken bones, no, no internal bleeding, no serious head trauma, nothing. And in fact, as they watch her in the next few days and weeks, she is showing signs that she's been healed of the digestive problem. They take her back to the specialist, show her. He does all the, uh, the tests, and he says... I don't know what to tell you, but she doesn't have this problem anymore. Her stomach's flat. She's been healed. And so as the movie unwinds uh, and you come to the end, there's a church service back in the hometown. And the mom gets up to speak. And she says, I haven't been here for a long time. This is what's happened with my daughter. There's media there. The church is packed. People have heard the story. And after she tells the story and the little girl comes up all healthy and stuff, someone in the congregation, you can understand it, stands up and says, was she really that sick? Did she really have a terminal disease? Because, you know, people are trying to do these kind of stories. Who knows what their motives are? Maybe they want to make money. Is this really true? And all of a sudden, in the back of the church, a man stands up. And the man is the father of that little girl who had cancer. And he goes, I want to tell you something. I've come here from Boston He says, that little girl that was in the room with her died two weeks ago. She's my daughter. And I can tell you this, I was in that room and this little girl was that sick. And this little girl did something for my daughter that can never be replaced. This little girl gave my daughter faith. And she's given me faith as well. The man stands up in the middle of that congregation and gives a testimony of his belief in Jesus Christ. You know, the cross... It seems to polarize people, doesn't it? There's some people that you mention the cross too, and they're right with you and they're, they're right on board and there's other people that, man, just the mention of the cross of Jesus Christ is a problem. In fact, you'll find in history that some of the Roman historians said that the cultured Romans didn't even want to talk about the cross. They didn't want the word on their lips. They despised the idea, but it was the Roman way to put people in their place. The Romans would often crucify people on public roads, on main uh, walkways to the market and stuff. And it was a warning for anyone who was seditious against the Romans. It was a public way of saying, don't mess with us. It was a way of enforcing their so-called peace with the fist. Jim Caviezel played the part of Jesus Christ in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. that was done by Mel Gibson some years ago. Jim Caviezel, when he agreed to take the part, was having a conversation with Mel Gibson on the telephone. And Mel said, you know, this may cost your career. And Jim said, you know, I've been considering that. And I think he said, I've been praying about it. And oh, by the way, I'm 33 years old, and my initials are JC for Jim Caviezel. And Gibson said, you're freaking me out. They both hung up the phone. Well, Caviezel agreed to do the film. And by all that I can see, he's a very committed believer. And he said when they were filming the scenes of Jesus on the cross, he went through, he described it as spiritual warfare, but he went through a lot of difficult things. He suffered a separated shoulder, suffered from hypothermia, and was struck by lightning while he was on the cross. He said he was being interviewed by an interviewer and, the interviewer was asking him about um, all of these things, and Caviezel responds, he says, it was so cold, it was like knives coming through me. He said, I had hypothermia. I don't, I don't know whether you've dealt with that, but on one day of hypothermia, I was so cold, I could barely get the lines out. My mouth was shaking uncontrollably. My arms and legs went numb. I was suffocating on that cross. In the meantime, you watch people, they're having coffee, they're laughing. They were very indifferent about what I was going through. And the actor says in what he experienced on the, in the filming of the cross, he, he got a deeper appreciation for what Jesus went through, but it's nowhere near, and he admits, of obviously nowhere near what Jesus went through. And the interviewer says the whipping and the scourging are hard to watch because that goes on for so long. He says, I was literally counting the lashes. I watched people in the theater in front of me, a small viewing theater, turn their faces away because they couldn't continue to look. And Caviezel responds, you said something very critical there. People turn their eyes away when they see it. And what they're seeing is their own sin. Now think of this. This is a Hollywood actor. He says, it's not wanting to deal at times with their own sin. It's hard to look at. But this film forces you to see yourself not the way you want to see yourself, but as God sees you. There are no passive onlookers here, close quote. And I just went, wow, when I read that interview, I was thinking, Jim Caviezel is preaching the gospel. He is saying, look, the truth is going to hit you right between the eyes as you have to deal with the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Uh, did face the cross, and he had to face it sadly alone, but his father never left him alone. He had moments on the cross when he had that forsaken cry, but he said, my father is always with me. He was rejected with their spite, the spite of the religious leaders. They spit at him. They've already uh, blindfolded him and hit him with blows in the face over and over again. He's swollen. He's bloodied. He's probably been all night in, up all night without sleep in multiple all-night trials and now he will come before Pontius Pilate. The cross, in many ways, becomes a mirror for people. It's a mirror to look at your soul, to look at your life and ask yourself about this message of the cross. I heard a story about an Indian chief, and uh, she came to a mission statement station, and she was hanging outside the missionary's hut, and on a tree was a little mirror. The chief happened to look into the mirror and saw her reflection, complete with the terrifying paint and threatening features. She gazed at her own frightening countenance and started back in horror, exclaiming, Who is the horrible person looking at me from inside that tree? Oh, the missionary said, It's not in the tree. The glass is reflecting your face, your own face. The chief would not believe it until she held the mirror in her hand. She said, I must have this glass. How much will you sell it for? Oh, said the missionary. I don't want to sell it. It's not for sale. But the woman begged until finally he capitulated, thinking it might be the best way to avoid trouble. So he named a price and she took the mirror, exclaiming, I will never have it making faces at me again. She threw down the mirror and broke it into pieces. This is precisely what the religious establishment did with Jesus Christ. They would dash the mirror of their souls. They nailed him to a cross only to find that this particular action magnified the reflection even more. You can try to break him. You can try to curse him. You can try to destroy him. But you will never change the truth of the cross History will never forget, God will never forget, and we should never forget. Verse 1, Mark 15. And in the early morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council, that's the Sanhedrin, immediately held a consultation. It's morning, and the consultation was about how they could bring a charge against Jesus that would stick and get him crucified. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him up to Pilate. They did this early in the morning because the Roman governor um, had a schedule, and his schedule was to take care of all of his business early in the morning, and then the rest of his day was leisure. So very early in the morning, any court cases that would come his way, he would hear. Now, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, lived in a place called Caesarea Maritime. It literally means Caesarea by the sea. You can go there today. There's ruins there today. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea. And he had a home there. He had headquarters there. But during the feast, he would come to Jerusalem and he would stay in the castle of Herod. Within the castle was a place called the Praetorium. It was kind of like the governor's mansion and when he was away from home. He would go there during the feast because the feast of Israel, remember Israel was considered occupied territory, so the Romans were there, but they, they weren't a friendly visitor. They, they were over the government, over the people, basically had them in bondage, though they had a certain amount of freedom. So what would happen is Pilate would make his way to Jerusalem, stay in this uh, area called Herod's Castle, and make sure that there were no bad things that happened during the feast. And what would happen during the feast is this was a time when people were feeling very nationalistic. It was the Passover season, which reminded the children of Israel of what? of deliverance from Egypt by 10 mighty plagues. Here they have the Romans there, so there was all kind of nationalistic fervor. They say there were a lot of incidences that happened during the feast where uh, insurrectionists would rise up, they would name somebody a king or a so-called messiah, and they would try to do guerrilla warfare or even just try to take on the Roman soldiers to get them out of their land. So the tension was high at these moments, and biblical uh, critics have said there's no evidence for a man named Pontius Pilate, uh, no evidence that there was ever such a character. And then in 1961, there was an archaeological discovery by Caesarea Maritime, if we could put it up on the screen, and it's called the Pilate Stone. The Pilate stone has an inscription that names Pontius Pilate as the prefect of Judea. Exactly what the Bible says. And uh, if you go to the next one, and we'll have a little bigger, uh, farther away view of it. This is a replica of the stone. But it has Pilate's name on it. And history has revealed that Pilate reigned in this position from A.D. 26 to 36. Jesus died around 30 to 33 A.D., and so he definitely was uh, the man who was ruling at this time. The Jews, uh, Mark 15, 1, held this consultation because it would appear that they could pronounce a death sentence, a capital sentence, but not carry it out. There's a little debate here because we do see times in the New Testament when it seems like they could stone somebody. For example, the woman caught in the act of adultery, they were ready to stone her until Jesus stopped that. There's a couple of occasions where they want to stone Jesus and it wasn't his hour, so he's able to get away. So it seemed like they had the ability to do some sort of execution, but I think they had a very specific execution in mind. I think they wanted to put Jesus on the cross to make a statement. The Old Testament says cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. They wanted to put him on a cross to humiliate him and to convince the people that he could not be the Messiah. He was under the curse of God. And interestingly enough, in some ways he was. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Jesus Christ became a curse for us. For cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. And Jesus was taking the curse of sin. He was bearing in his body our punishment. He was taking the wrath of God. So in some ways, I think you could say he was bearing the curse. So they had to figure out a way to take Jesus to the Roman governor and convince the governor that Jesus was guilty of what they would call high treason. This would be acts against the state. And the Romans would take very seriously if they heard a couple of things. If they heard that you were trying to rally troops or you called yourself some sort of king or deliverer, that's what they were concerned about. And Pilate was there for that really very reason to make sure he would quell any such uprisings. So they came to Pilate and they presented their case before him. And it is clear that Pilate has been briefed that Jesus is some sort of king. In John 18, 28, if you turn there for a second, uh, turn to John 18. Pilate is, the praetorium is being mentioned here, and Pilate is interacting with Jesus. Let's go to John 18, and we'll pick it up at verse 33. Pilate is in an area that would be called the Judgment Hall, and verse 2 of Mark 15 has Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? John gives us a little bit more detail in verse 33 of John 18, Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium, summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? John 18:35. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, so you are a king? Jesus had been beaten and probably wasn't terribly impressive at this point. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him in these famous words, what is truth? Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult, and we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.